everyone and welcome to another episode of Stepping Into Frame, our podcast all about women in screenwriting. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to all our podcasts at the script department on all the channels where you find your podcasts. You can also check out what we, our global group of screenwriters, are up to at scriptdepartment.net and follow us on social media. So today we're talking about the film In Her Shoes and I'm joined by Fiona. Hello. Very happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is my first time hosting with all the technology working. Don't say so anything, Lorna. They would never know if you didn't say that. You're doing well. Keep I, going. I, I'm all about honesty here. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, uh, In Her Shoes, Fiona, and, and what it is that you bring to this this film. This, yeah. Um, so I, I, this is a film from 2005, so based on a novel by Ju- Jennifer Weiner. Um, I didn't read the novel. I'm kind of thinking that I might read the novel now. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, it's it's. I didn't have any desire to do so when I watched it the first time, which is was probably soon after it came out. I don't remember seeing it at the movies or anything like that, but I definitely remember seeing it sort of not long-ish after it had come out, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I didn't have a desire to read the book, but actually I do now, probably peaked by coming at it from a screenwriting point yeah, of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Same here. And yeah. thinking about the differences between, you know, it's the old adaptation thing, isn't it? You know, and we've come across this a lot and, you know, we've talked about a lot of, in fact, the vast majority of things that we talk about are book adaptations to film, which I find really weird um, and and interesting. But when I thought back, I thought, you know, yeah, we've covered a lot of these adaptations. So this is yet another. And most of the time you kind of go, oh, yeah, I might want to read the book. But I really do here because I feel like, and we'll dig into this a little bit more, um, I feel like there are some pretty big differences between what I think the book has tried to do and what's actually articulated into the film. Yeah. Does that, I agree. Do you, you seem to, yeah. Mm. And I wonder whether, from marketing point of view, they decided to turn it into a rom com and add the romance. That may have been done at the book level, or it may have been done at the film level. Um, and I'm not sure it entirely works for it to be a complete switch. I think it would have been nice to see Tony Collette's character Rose just kind of um, exploring um, sleeping around and and the kind of buzz she gets from it and and also um, how she feels about herself afterwards and just kind of to be able to fully understand her sister because there's there's a moment in it where they go to the di- well when they go out for for drinks and uh, and so and um, Rose has been dressed up by Maggie her si- um, sister played by Cameron Diaz and um, and that could have been like a, an awakening moment for Rose to be like actually I can do this um, and I can get attention and she might actually understandably get hooked on it just the same way as her sister Maggie has got hooked on that buzz of, um, mm, of the one that's an stand. interesting thought <clears throat> I don't know if she would you know because she's she's quite different though isn't she like they, well quite... they are different characters but it's the fact that they both have that fundamental flaw of of needing the the kind of uh you know they're both insecure in different ways so and they're solving that insecurity at the two opposite ends of the spectrum uh one by working really hard and plowing into that and getting um the sense that she is um making people proud of her etc in that way and uh, and maggie's getting it from um, getting attention from men and uh, and doesn't feel the kind of reassurance from the career angle. Yeah, and and that's obviously because of her big issue around not being yeah. Lexio. Oh, I mean her her arc I think is perfect, and I mm-hmm. absolutely fell in love with her at the the MTV. Uh, in fact, we need to go back a bit because we haven't properly talked about what this whole film is about. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> no, we haven't. I'll dive into it too quickly. Um, yes. So, in her, sho- in her shoes is about these two sisters who are very different on the surface. So, Rose is a hotshot lawyer uh, with plenty of confidence in the workplace, uh, but very little sexual confidence. And Maggie is unemployed with very little confidence in terms of her career because she's dyslexic, um, but with plenty of sexual confidence. And so, they're both using their opposite ends of the, the spectrum to, to bolster their, their own kind of sense of self-worth. Um, and so they go on this journey. And that's why it's called In, in Her Shoes, to kind of switch places and understand each other's point of view. Mm. Yes, yeah. and because the shoes are important, aren't they, to um, 
to Tony, the Tony Collette character because to Rose because she makes there's an interesting line that she says in the film about when I feel bad, food just makes me fat, but shoes make me feel good. Yeah, and it's yeah. A real, so yeah. she's got millions of shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah. so she's instead of you know it, so that's her sort of way of trying to make herself feel better is she said you know shoes aren't bad to me or something makes some yeah like yeah that. exactly yeah. she says clothes don't fit food makes me fatter. Not just mm. fat, but fatter. Right. Like, right. Oh, you look Which we'll good come to back me. to that point later. <laughs> about, uh, yeah, anyway. But shoes always look good. And yeah. uh, it's like, oh, bless her. But she doesn't have the confidence to wear them most no. of the time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. She's very lucky in confidence. She, she reminds me very much of um, a very, she's a very normal woman, I think. She has a very, she kind of comes across in that very authentic way around those those insecurities that sort of plague women and particularly in the you know world in which she works and um yeah which I think was done really well yes yeah agreed agreed um and what we were talking about before we hit record was the fact that clearly Tony Collette is gorgeous so her once again being typecast as the frumpy one like she was when when we well I first came across her in in Muriel's wedding it was like you don't look so yes. bad to me. <laughs> it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely, and I think we do, we do need to pull this out for a minute because it's a fascinating insight into how we've changed as a society or are hopefully changing. But also that idea of that Hollywood idea about what fat and unattractive is, which is essentially what, you know, this frumpy, not attractive character is what she set up to be at the beginning. But I mean, come on, Tony Collette is gorgeous and there is nothing about her. And actually, that is one of my sort of without going too far down at, at this point, that is one of my kind of irks about this story is that I think the story that Jennifer Warner was attempt, has, has written is actually about the idea that these two these two women start off being very stereotyped as one being this kind of workaholic and one being this kind of, you know, <clears throat> provocative, promiscuous kind of woman. Um, but they both have these massive arcs and they change. And also, and I think she wrote, actually, I'm just going to, I'm I'm going to try and not go on a, like a big whirlwind conversation here. But <laughs> Feel free. free. I can't <laughs> promise. <laughs> but if you go back to what she actually, okay, yeah. So if you go back to what her, <laughs> sorry, go back to what her premise was, was for writing the book. And she wrote somewhere, I read that she said, some of the questions that she had when she started writing the book were about, how can people who come literally from the same place, who grow up in the same house, go on the same vacations and eat the same food for dinner, wind up being totally different people with different interests, different attitudes and different looks? What do they still share? What bonds exist no matter where, where their lives take them? Um, in families with more than one sibling, there's often this feeling of being put into a box. You're smart. You're the idiot. Blah blah blah. And so she wanted to play with that idea, which I think, as a premise to a piece, is brilliant. And I, I think she's really. And what I love about the idea of the characters is that they do have these big arcs out of those stereotypical boxes. So Rose loosens up. Um, Cameron Diaz's character gets a bit Maggie gets a bit more gets a act together um, becomes a bit more responsible and a bit more respectful of people so they do have this big arc and they and they work outside of the tropes that are originally given to them however when they are put on the in the film you've you've put you're putting um, Tony Collette as this you know frumpy overweight character which she's clearly not, like so clearly not. And it's like, what are you doing? You're actually perpetuating a whole bunch of other misconceptions about women, about the ideals of attractiveness and beauty. So where on the one hand you're trying really hard to break a trope and break a stereotype, in the articulation of the film you're reinforcing it in the same way that Cameron Diaz wanders around for the vast majority of the first half of the film without trousers on and in high-heeled shoes and if you have looked like I was really looking carefully some of those shots that are taken of Diaz are literally like a body scan from the feet up or the sort of bum down and it's like come on guys like we're trying to you know this this could be something that works really well but actually you know there's in the articulation of it it's sort of tripped over 
Yeah. Rant yeah, over. Agreed. No, Sorry. I, I'm completely Step with box. you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of just decided to just draw a line under it, under it from the point of view that there are many reasons why people can feel unattractive, even though that they are, um, you know, like Tony Collette and yeah. still yes. absolutely okay. gorgeous. Fair enough. Yes, fair enough. And so <laughs> I just decided to be like, okay. So, I mean, she's got plenty of reasons. The character's got plenty of reasons to feel insecure about the way that she looks. And, you know, she... Uh, and she'd turned to food to to fill the hole when she was younger, and now she's found shoes to fill that hole in terms of the since her mother died and all that kind of thing. So it's like there are reasons from a character point of view that she can feel unattractive. So I was like, yes, let's just call it that, shall we? Okay, well done. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that at all. But anyway, but and I suppose in in defence of the film itself, I suppose that actually. If you think about the characters, if you were a character that felt it or, or didn't fit those normal, those, you know, um, expected tropes of beauty and attractiveness and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we, we all felt like that growing up. I think everybody feels like that growing up. You don't fit, you don't you know, look right, you're not enough, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, step in America Ferreira and your Barbie quote, um, you know, absolutely. But I suppose with the two sisters if you're also growing up with a sister who is who has those attributes that those traditional and beautiful attributes where she gets lots of attention because of it then that makes sense that it would reinforce your sense of a lower sense of self-worth yes yeah and the same goes for Maggie that she her lower self sense of self-worth comes from being also being compared to a sister in terms of her sister's intelligence and so she's she kind of gave up um, you know, as well as having the the hurdle in terms of the dyslexia, she she had that comparison with her sister. It's um, kind of fascinating, isn't it? One sister was was had such issues with literacy, and one becomes a lawyer. It's sort of how does that happen? Anyway, that's another story. But you know, <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right that she would feel equally, um, uh, um, yeah, lacking in it in an intellectual way rather than on a on a physical level. So yeah. Um, makes sense but I think because of um, Tony Collette's appearance it's part of the reason why you don't get a sense of Rose's arc in the same way as you do with Maggie's so Maggie's arc made me cry on multiple occasions yeah I thought I thought it was just brilliantly written whereas Rose's arc um Partly, but also because I just Simon did my head in on oh, that numerous Simon. I'm excited to talk about Simon. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think in an attempt to shoehorn a romance in there, I think that also minimised her arc as well because she quite early on um, got into this relationship with Simon who just forced hmm. himself on her essentially not totally. we're not there's no sexual violence sorry I didn't but in no. terms of like being pushy is what I meant yeah and controlling, controlling. yeah when am Ugh. I gonna pick you up on Friday yeah I know <laughs> yeah so so there's all these so there's very little there in terms of arc and and I I did like him we can talk when we properly get into Simon. We can talk. I did like some of the things he said later on. So it's just like he starts out bad and then he's just suddenly magically all right. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, but there's just, a, I don't feel like there's the same arc or depth to Rose's character because of the romance, um, because we don't get to see her properly experiencing the kind of the, the other side of the coin that. Um, in terms of Maggie's experiences, um, she enjoys being a dog walker. So how how is that the same as like the insecurity that that Maggie felt in terms of constantly needing to rely on family, um, in terms of um, going out and needing the kind of rush of the reassurance of a uh, sexual encounter to make herself feel better she um we do find out that she's got fitter as a result of the dog walking and it's commented on and and it's like she was already beautiful she looks exactly the same to me there's it's like so it's just so many different things that are just like and it just kind of deadens it when when tony collette is such an incredible actress it's like it, it's a bit of a waste I yeah but say. but i i do think that it, it is Tony Collette's performance that actually goes some way to balance those two arcs because I think you're right around the Maggie's arc is much bigger. We feel 
well, we kind of, I don't, I didn't massively, but I think you're supposed to feel much more empathetic towards her struggles, if you like. Um, but, uh, and probably on balance is supposed to have the, the lion's share of the focus in terms of her storyline. However, Tony Collette's performance and particularly her performance when she's gets, um, you know, when a, a boyfriend cheats on her and when her sister is absolutely hideous, you know, the angst that she shows is really compelling. And so I think she goes a really long way just through literally through the performance, which lifts the story, um, goes a long way to balance the two, the two arcs, if you like. But I think, yeah, you're definitely right around the fact that she just, you know, she goes from being a lawyer to a dog walker. And, but, but that's the thing, isn't it? I guess it's always easier for someone you know, when you look at things like literacy as a massive challenge, um, then somebody like somebody who is a lawyer, it's really easy to then go and become a dog walker because you've got every you've you've got so many skills. You know, whereas anything is difficult for Maggie's character, which is why we we yeah we feel for it. And I loved the fact that the character, the man that she reads to mm, is blind yeah and I yeah. thought that was brilliant because yeah. that's exactly what she needs is someone yeah. who does not measure her on anything physical no. just, and yet it yeah. seems a little wasted when he says you sound attractive <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. could yeah. we not have just not had that line just not and have not it. you know it's yeah. like because it's she's still then therefore being pigeonholed in a certain exactly. way it would have been nice to completely have it off the table wouldn't it exactly oh totally and also because when she comes in like once she gets to know him she's so chirpy and full of life and dynamic and she's got a great personality there is so many things to be grateful of and to comment on rather than <laughs> you sound like you've got really long legs yeah yeah exactly yeah but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh dear, we're getting there slowly, slowly. We're moving along, aren't we? Anyway, but yes, it's um, it, I did enjoy that. I thought that was really a lovely, probably one of the strongest sort of um storylines in there was that that piece with him and how she she learns to improve her reading and all the things yeah. that flow from it, which was lovely. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of sad that she never had the opportunity to do it sooner because obviously, like. What was her dad doing? I mean, I get after like his wife died that he was catatonic, and I can I can get that to a certain extent. But then he marries this horrible woman who's only ever to mean to his girls, and and he just like he just was useless. You know, he didn't sort out the literacy issues for for Maggie, and um uh, and just never addressed um the re when um rose's feelings about her food and you know there's just all these issues that they've got there and he didn't he just like goes he just l allows himself to be walked all over by that woman and and just lets her walk all over his daughters as well i'm just like what is wrong with you i think that was a very interesting choice that the the stepmother that who literally fell so totally into the evil stepmother trope it's not funny she couldn't be any further into that than if she tried but I thought that was a fascinating use of her as the um, the antagonistic force because it actually let the dad right off the hook, didn't it? Like, in terms of, and then you, and and I, I didn't really, I really struggled for a while to understand the what actually went on between him and, and the Shirley MacLaine grandmother character. What actually happened? Because both of them, certainly in the first, act of the film the dad is the benevolent father you like him he's 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 married to this woman who drives him crazy and he's sort of this downtrodden guy that's at the you know of this really tropey woman so you go so you feel empathy towards him but then something weird happens when we we understand that the grandmother has been you know has, has been sort of um what is it ostracized from the family and the way she explains it doesn't match with the guy that we meet in the first act but then when they have the reconciliation and they both go oh we both did things wrong because equally then when the dad does talk about and um, when when um rose goes and confronts the father when she when the grandmother contacts her they have that little moment where he tries to um justify what's happened and he paints the grandmother in a pretty you know not a great light but that also doesn't match 
the person that we have met. So there's all this sort of weird disconnect between it, which I don't think gets resolved yeah. very clearly in the yeah, film. I agree. But perhaps it does yeah. in the book. Yeah. yeah. There is a sense of terms of like we are told the fact that that's the way things were then and that's the way she behaved then and that's the way he was then. Um, and it's all very, very much we were told it but we weren't shown it in any particular way so that we can get a sense of the fact that those personality traits are there but and she does acknowledge the fact that that she was a bit bossy and the thing is that obviously growing up sometimes teenage years between parents parents can struggle to 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 let go of control and particularly if the child has got mental health issues and that can make them extra anxious and then extra controlling um and i can understand how that's not helpful to someone who's got um mental health issues and so breaking free from the mother um and her control and coming along to the the dad and their relationship and their naivety in terms of uh deciding that let's just try it without the meds um uh, just seeming like a good idea because the the medicines were all kind of tied up emotionally in terms of the control of the mother and so I can see it but it's something we've very much been told 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 yeah. told and yeah, you don't and get to see it and feel it absolutely and also you think about the mother died when Maggie was six um Rose makes that comment when they have the conversation about it in the bathroom in towards the end of the film and however if you think back the first card that Maggie opens from her grandmother was dated happy seventh birthday. So the, sh the break off was immediate. And it just, you just think, gosh, that's really, it's kind of hard to believe in a way because a single dad that's then left with, or single parent that's left with two kids just cuts off that, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just, there was, there were too many questions and I was wanting, to, I wanted the answers. <laughs> and I guess this is the difficulty. This goes back to our earlier conversation about, the challenges of adapting a book is that in a book you've got all that time to do backstory you've got all the time in the world to tell us what had happened what had gone on how the relationship developed how it shifted how it broke down but you don't have that luxury in a, in a screenplay so um you know you can but, and and I so I totally understand it but I kind of felt that they were I felt the script was grappling with it I don't feel like the script felt resolved around that particular yeah yeah relationship I don't know <sighs> So are we going to carry on with things that we found frustrating before we talk about things that we liked? Or should we have a bit of lightness about the things that we did like? Okay, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> so I loved Mikey's art. It had me crying yes. at various different points. The MTV audition, I think, is just brilliant. I think it's brilliantly written and I think it's brilliantly acted. And it just, um, that was the first moment that I really kind of like, had a, a massive connection with Maggie and who she is and I was just like oh oh bless your heart <laughs> um yeah and, uh, I, I do agree it was she, it was a it was a really lovely point to put in up front because it does give us straight away that idea that or it gives us a sense that this is not an easy, this is not a simple rom-com or a simple comedy. You know, there's, and, and I think that's the key thing is that I feel like in the book so many really, well, in not even in the book because I haven't read it, but in the storyline, the premise, you've got two really polar opposite girls, both with big problems, lose their mum really young, get a stepmother that clearly despises them and are, are ostracised from the rest of their family. Like that's a really gritty premise. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if, you, if you wrote that in any other genre, yeah. that is dark, you yeah. know. Like yeah. you know that's going to be dark. So, that you know, so I think bringing through that sense of there's some real complexity here to the characters and some real complexity to their challenges was great. And I loved the mechanism of the MTV video. I thought it was brilliant. And I thought the way she responded to it was brilliant. And it does, yeah, it was heartbreaking, which was yeah, mm. really effective. I also thought the CV scene was really good in terms of the uh, the way that they then introduced some of the other ways in which Maggie's been affected by the um, by her dyslexia and her like basically academic 
um, issues. And uh, and I thought that was great in terms of some of the flashbacks that we got and how that because we saw how the, the different jobs came to an end. And I thought that was a really clever, clever um, technique that they used from a script writing point of view. Yeah, definitely. Um, and nicely done in that conversation where mm. they're just sitting on the lounge or they're just relaxing, but you get those little flashback mm. moments. And they are, it's always tricky with flashbacks, isn't it? Because you never know how to how to use them how often to use them when to use them and it's it's and I remember being taught that if you're going to use flashbacks use them consistently don't use them as a way to just tell some quick backstory that you can't find another way to tell but I actually and and you know arguably this may have fallen into that but I think the fact that it had a couple of iterations actually worked quite nicely to give us a really good sense of not only the backstory, but also the impact of, on on um, Maggie's character, which I thought was good, and a little bit of a way to connect the two sisters yes. at those few moments where they did connect, which I thought was good. Yes, yeah. I agree. Um, and it was a, also I really enjoyed the segue from a screenwriting point of view from that scene into then them going uh, going to look at the shoes, talking about the shoes, and then them going out together. Like um, I'm so Maggie was like, I'm doing this for you. I'm letting you do my CV, which was a, a lovely characterful way of her saying that. So that then you've got to let me do you up and uh, do your makeup and uh, and then they, that's how they end up talking about the shoes and then going out together. Yeah. It's a nice moment, and a, mm. and probably a very a very um, authentic way of those sort of always at loggerhead sisters. You know, they they do nice things for each other, but they put it forward in a way that they're actually you know you're doing. I'm le- going to let you help me because yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice. It was really good. A really yeah. authentic. Yeah, I like that. And we needed that sense of connection there as well in between the two of them, so we understood what it is that they had in common and how that they um, bonded and connected and so we saw the relationship and its value to them both in before it all went wrong yeah because it's a good point isn't it because on the surface of it if you think about what went on between the two of them in the first act um you know up to this well just after uh, and sorry and into the beginning of the second act um you would question whether you know particularly the behavior of um, Maggie you would question whether a, a sister might just actually let us let that sibling go you know like because it's pretty terrible and so I think it was really important that those those moments within the screenplay were really critical because they really had to convince us that there was something there is something much deeper that connects the two of them other than just the fact that they're related you know, so that that was kind of, and that, you know, I, I don't. Sometimes there were moments where I was like, "Oh, this is really tenuous," but I think over the bulk of the film, they managed to get enough of those moments in. And then I guess probably particularly highlighted by that end moment where mm. um, Maggie reads the poem. Oh, to, yeah, yeah, which was lovely. And it's like, who's not going to fall for that poem? That poem is <laughs> no, yeah. So yeah. I cried. I cried then. No, yeah, that is one I did find. <laughs> it's beautiful. Glad to hear it. <laughs> I'm not completely cold hearted. <laughs> uh, and and so the and the old guy from the the nursing home, he he absolutely he's he's brilliant and such a great character for Maggie. Um, and the the way he he brings it out of her, and when he tells gives her an A plus for her interpretation of the poem that and that poem that's about losing. Um, at, what's it called? One Art is called by Elizabeth Bishop and it's so beautiful and the way it kind of it's used to interweave between the two sisters and the, the kind of uh, the, the cutting that they did between the two different lives and what's going on in uh, kind of separate but yet together somehow uh, in this kind of um, both experiencing the the what's being talked about in the poem and it's just it's beautiful and I definitely Mm. blubbed then I thought it was brilliant I was like I'm gonna have to find out what that poem is (laughs) isn't it nice when you hear good or beautiful poetry in Mm. films and it makes you go and find it later I love that um yeah I did think that was a really lovely moment too in that whole mechanic of that relationship with um with that gentleman was was perfect I did also like um the the older ladies when they were quite sassy yes. with Maggie yeah, like yeah, that, agreed. I, I like the fact agreed. that 
she they were kind of calling her on a mm. on a behavior a bit in yeah. in a comedic yes. way. I thought yes. that was great, and of course, it's very typical accepting way. Yeah. It's exactly what she needed. She kind of and each time she got kind of owned in terms of we know you, we know exactly who you are in this kind of safe space where she feels like, oh, just a minute, they know who I am and I'm accepted as I am. Um, and it's it, those are key moments that really help her to embrace herself as she is. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great that we know why you're here to steal your grandmother's money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, I love it. She's like rabbit in the headlights, but just also like um, they've known this all along. Yeah. And they're here I'm here yeah this is and and that's what you need isn't it like you think about as a kid that's what you need is you need the adults around you to go I saw you behave badly and you shouldn't behave badly but I still love you and but I've seen you you know and and she obviously didn't have that so having that now as an adult is really is really good for her and seeing her blossom in that environment was really really nice um can I ask you a question about um because it just made me think about sidekicks and the idea that those sort of older women were the kind of played the sort of sidekick role, almost the Joker role in a way, um, or the um, and then I thought there was also though that other character who was the best friend of Rose. Yeah, yes. I wasn't quite sure about whether that was absolutely necessary as yeah. a character. Did you notice that? I feel like she was there to kind of put points across. You know what I mean? So sometimes she will make good points and sometimes Rose made good points to her. And it's like, oh, that's really good life advice. It felt like the, the script writer was going, I just want to put this out into the world. Here you go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And I guess because she didn't have a big, a big circle, did she? It was, if you think about um, Maggie, Maggie had all those characters around her when she was in all that, that Florida development piece. There was a whole bunch of people to bounce things around in terms of the development piece. But she was quite, um, Rose was quite lonely, wasn't lonely and I don't mean that emotionally I mean in terms of she was alone most of the time or with Simon but there weren't any many other characters for her for us to hear her internal thoughts but that role would play that role then doesn't it I guess is the allows us to hear what she's thinking and feeling and test and you know and give the give an alternative view and stuff like that yeah okay Yeah, I love the moment where the friend said um they don't deserve your tears and she was like you're probably right but I just you know I wish you just say I'm sorry this has happened to you and it sucks and it's like yeah because a friend is really lacking in empathy there she's just it's like they don't deserve your tears so stop crying it's like it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt does it yeah but I guess it's very much part of that world in which she comes isn't it that really you know that sort of a-type corporate pick yourself up brush yourself off get on with it sort of thing it's yeah which is yeah terrible another nice moment that I enjoyed was something that Simon said which again there's there's quite a few bits that I could pick out from this film as like a star um life advice um so when Simon sees Rose talking to Jim and he's clearly hurt by that at first I was like oh here we go Simon's going to annoy me again but actually <laughs> Actually, um, he he says to her that he's been all this time. He's been waiting for her to come back to him, to look him in the eye and tell him what she's thinking. Um, but instead, she looked Jim in the eye and told him what she was thinking. And and he was like, "I'm not going to marry you like this." And I was like, "That's that's all." I, I tick tick tick. Well yeah. done. Yeah, <laughs> go to the it top was of good. the class there, Simon. It was. Yeah, it was good, and because it, it, yeah, great and real and all that that sort of mm. thing. I thought, yeah, and really, again, you get that complexity of that person who is because she was very closed off as a character, wasn't she? As a once, well, she just was a bit generally, but particularly when she'd been through that that pain, and he, she wouldn't share about what had happened with that partner that she been with or or um what had happened then with um Maggie either so yeah she was very closed off to him but it, yeah but and I, I did like that too I thought it was very strong um even though generally he was kind yeah. of annoying yeah <laughs> yes his reasons for them breaking up is the the reason why I felt like he was worthy of having that's the look I understand why she took so long to date him I really do you know yeah. it's like yeah it's really yeah, it just yeah. was not a. Uh, you couldn't write that character there. Do you think mm. you could write? I mean, I would never write mm. that character. No, right? Me neither. No, would, you know, unless and, they were a baddie. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> not, not the romantic hero, though, right? No, 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 
no, because that whole, and I, you know, it does make you wonder. So when was that? 2005 that came out. So mm. it's not a hundred years ago, but gosh, we've come a long way, haven't we? In terms of what we, what we tolerate now. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, and the kind of, well, and the kind of stories we want to see and just, yeah. I didn't notice. I don't think it certainly didn't stick in my mind from when I first saw it that he was a particularly controlling character, but whoa, it really hit me between yeah, the eyes yeah. this time. Yeah. And I, I yeah. feel like Americans have a particular like fetish about men being taking control and ordering food. It's like, it, I don't understand it, really doesn't turn me on. <laughs> if a so man did that to me, I might finish the date. But I probably wouldn't finish the food and also would never see them again. <laughs> so you go out on a date with a guy who A, tells you you're going on a lunch date with him, oh, doesn't yeah. ask you, yeah. then orders the food, then yeah. tells you that he orders so well you're going to want to order with him oh. for the rest of your life, uh, then tells oh. you he's going to pick you up on Friday at 7. Oh. Would there be a second date? There would not be no. a second date. <laughs> no. Ever. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And then even when it comes to the third date, he pretends to be all like chill and says like, oh, well, it's completely the balls in your court type thing. Um, as if he's not controlling at all. But the thing is, he says he, he tells her exactly what he likes. So then ensured that if she get asked him out on a date again, she asked him to do what he wants to do. So that's three dates they've had. Every single time they've done what he likes and eaten what he likes. And it's just like, run away, red flag, yeah. red flag, run away. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, for me, that would be the big rewrite in that in that film is there's so much, there's so many good, nice bits, really, like definitely the arcs are great, some great characterization in there, lots of good stuff. But that would be the rewrite for me is that character because it just wouldn't stack in 2023 as a, as in, in any way, a um, I mean, you know, it, it turns. You see that his intentions are good, but that's that's sort of not enough, really, is it? It's like, you know, her first boyfriend's intentions were probably good too, right? Until he meets the sister, you know, it's sort of like I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, that that was for me the sort of bigger frailty in it. Although he he's obviously a lovely character eventually well he, yes. underneath he is <laughs> yeah he is, isn't he yeah. his intentions are there so that's good but i yeah i wouldn't have nest i definitely wouldn't have put him as the um i would have yeah. put him as the transitional guy yeah you know before yeah. the before the mm. end guy the one so where she would go you know like where when we have that the the deep part of act two where um maggie is going on her big sort of journey self journey and equally where rose is going on her internal journey I would have put him as like one of the passing characters and he teaches us some stuff and then she goes, oh, okay, no, now I'm ready for the right one sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, not that yeah. you have enough screen time to do that. but that's No, fine. I know. And that's the issue, isn't it? That, and yeah. No doubt there is more in the book that kind of brings you to uh, along to understanding the romance and appreciate if the, if the romance is even in there. Um, so, yeah, th there was also the the whole reading the romance novel and saying that he was embarrassed to say it turned him on and it's like just don't be a literary snob just just enjoy it please <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah that was that was odd wasn't it it was like yeah I don't but then he still read it yeah you know, like yeah was, absolutely yeah and used it as part of his seduction technique as well yeah uh, but turning the light off like she turns the light off he turns it back oh, on okay. He, she, uh, okay that again yeah. <laughs> definitely you're absolutely right that was the moment where I was like you know what if you hadn't broken up with him before you would break up with him then wouldn't you like goodness or somebody one of you either of you have a conversation why do we keep turning the light on and off why do you want the light on why do you want the light off can we come to some kind of a <laughs> you know shared position on this but no so I can't both of them were a bit annoying in that it was like stop it both of you but he him particularly because he had to dominate it was like no yeah. it has to be yeah it had to be his way oh, again she's yeah. allowed to be insecure I think the inference is that it's about her body insecurity of course it is but of course but, it is but she's allowed to be insecure and she should be allowed to have sex in whatever environment she feels comfortable. Exactly. And he should understand that obviously if she's turning the light off, she doesn't feel secure. So instead of just going, mm, you're going to have it on anyway, whether you like it or not, that's the moment that you say, what's happening here? 
why do you feel like you don't you want the light off let's talk about that you shouldn't you know whatever you know I'm no ma- you know marriage counselor or relationship no, advisor yeah, yeah. in any way but, um, <laughs> but you would say that's the natural progression rather than mm. that domineering sort of no Ugh. yeah terrible mm. anyway okay that's Simon we're, yes. we're done with Simon but can we also say he proposes way too soon there we go that's it yes <laughs> I, and that really I was like how soon how long and also maybe it's just me but I, I would not want a ring on a prawn you wouldn't want that. That's not romantic, is it? Stick a ring on a crustacean. Because, again, that's about him and food. Yes. I yeah, enjoy yes. food, so I'm going to stick it on a, on a prawn and, and present it to you in this yeah. way because I this mean, is all about me. Again. Granted, it was a king prawn and it looked delicious, but you wouldn't want an engagement ring on. I, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so there was – I just found it was really weird to me. Like, yeah. Anyway, so that would be where I would tweak, but – yeah, that's all kind of <laughs> entertaining anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do like the the end. So in terms of that, it's not all tied together too neatly. There's still the question mark over Rose's career. There's still the question mark over Maggie's love life, although obviously the doctor turns up who's the son of the... Um, yes. the old man so yes. the potential there and it's funny you mentioned that son because um, for some reason in my memory I felt like that was more reconciled in the film I felt like as I remembered the film I thought oh yeah she gets together with the son of the guy that passes away yeah the grandson that's right And but then actually when I watched it again just the other day I was like oh actually it's more inferred rather than yeah which is well there's not even an inference actually it's just a it's there's a connection. That's all you sort of see, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yes, definitely not tied up. Definitely not tied up around the career. Because um, mm. it was of... never about that anyway. It was about them coming to understand each other, themselves and each other's positions and kind of making peace with the past. Yeah. And I suppose at the end, yeah, I mean, Maggie, Maggie's in, a, in probably the most resolved place in terms of she's clearly much happier she's clearly much more fulfilled she's you know which is great um and then you know I guess uh Rose gets married but that's sort of not really you know yeah so I suppose that's the kind of sexual confidence side of things isn't it it's romantic like (laughs) happy endings with uh, air quotes around it because uh, questions over Simon but I did one of the things that another thing I did like that Simon said uh, when he was talking to um, Maggie Maggie was giving him advice right There's, this means this and this means that and he was like it's all right I know her and I was like well I mean it's all been about you so far but <laughs> mm. you, <laughs> you know, know her because you've created her yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that's lovely, isn't it? In terms of as a line, as a you know that that's lovely. That's what you would hope that a character would feel that way. You know that all good, tick tick. It's mm. yeah. So there's, I mean, there's definitely some redemptive qualities about him. He's not yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. Um, he's just got really questionable date tact, you know. <laughs> yeah. Behavior. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but look, agreed. you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? That I guess, um, at the time we we're okay with that and that's yeah we move we move on yeah yeah exactly just cringe a bit yeah 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 (laughs) it's funny isn't it it happens a lot doesn't it on the script Mm. department when we look back there's so much that we in fact it's one of the biggest things Mm. that happens isn't it that we talk about the oh geez if they were to write that now they wouldn't they wouldn't write the character that way or Mm. they wouldn't write that happening you know it, it, Mm. it really is a reflection screenwriting and filmmaking is a real reflection of the shift in society isn't it in a fascinating yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it feels like in so many ways society has, has gone backwards since 2016. Mm. Seemed like a peak, like, oh, no, what are we doing moment. Mm. But yeah. And yet somehow we still are managing to keep move forward. I yeah, in say. some ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely, which is which is a good thing, which is reassuring. <laughs> yes. So I think on that note, are we? is there anything else that you would like to add? Um, I feel like there's some things I wanted to say, but I can't 
now mm. I remember what they are. So no, <laughs> um, no, I think that was yeah. I think that's I, I guess okay. Or, or maybe my question to you. I know you're the host, but I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I'll let it go eventually. <laughs> um, what what do you think? What do you learn from this film as a writer? As a writer, there are certainly various bits where I was like, oh, I like that. So like the segues in, in between the. Uh, the doing the CV and then them talking about the shoes and then them going out together. I thought I was like, oh, yes, I was quite excited about that. It's the kind of the way that they felt a bit quite masterful, I would say. And it all feel very natural. Um, and the, the flashbacks felt natural to me. <laughs> um, I felt like it was a good, um, good way of putting it across. Um, and yeah, they, that MTV scene, um, the like the moment where um Maggie gets left in the flat and there's a notice that says don't touch anything and she immediately is touching everything of roses um just that was a great character scene and the um and and the fact that Rose knew that the only place that the um that Maggie would see the job ads I mean she could have put them in front of the shoes as well as in the fridge but yeah certainly um she knew that if you put it in the fridge that that would definitely get seen yes <laughs> where the ice cream was or whatever it was yeah, yeah yeah definitely and I thought that's that was it's a really good point and that's a lovely technique when we as writers one of our challenges is always about how do we show the relationship without using exposition and without telling um, and without stuffing backstory in. Um, and that is a brilliant way to do it. I thought just a tiny little thing, just little notes around the house. It just told us everything about the relationship in terms of the, this, you know, Rose knows what to expect from a sister and so knows the tone, knows exactly where to place the notes. You know, that was brilliant. It showed us so much. So, yeah, that was a really lovely technique. I liked that a lot. Mm. <laughs> still quite hopeful in terms of don't touch anything where in actual fact she knew still there was a question <laughs> really? about the shoes where she said especially not these ones and I was like well that's like that's like of course she's going to touch the ones yeah, you say yeah. don't especially yeah. not these yeah. so you know and I thought well surely you would know that that's what's going to happen but anyway that, that yeah. was you know some of them mm, that was a bit weird but anyway I, lo- yeah. I really liked it as a technique I remembered something that I haven't said that I hated and I can't believe that I haven't mentioned it yet the fact that Rose didn't call the police as soon as her sister went missing how have we not mentioned this yet oh yeah <laughs> I was Actually, like the yeah. whole film I was like you have no idea where your sister is when she left it was a big argument. After what happened to your mother, do you not think that maybe yes. you need to get her found? There was zero anxiety whatsoever. She went, yes. it's a lovely day. But she equally with the dad. Post to. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, dad was again. like, where is she? Yeah. Oh, she's somewhere. Oh, I know. She, you know, never, not, well, I'd like to see her. Could you tell her to ring me? <laughs> like, nothing. You know, yeah, that's a really true. It's a really good point. It's a really, really good point. A massive oversight. Sorry, yeah. we should have said that. Yeah, yeah, away. I know. I just got so sucked into slugging off Simon that I completely yeah. mess- I, in <laughs> I all the capitals here that. as well. About she should have called yeah. the police. I've been yeah. out of her mind with worry. Yeah. <laughs> it I think the tricky part is in the film is you don't get a really solid sense of the time scales. So and and I think that's probably one of the issues. It, it, maybe it could have done with that because I think, yeah, one of the issues we've got obviously with the prawn scene, the prawn engagement scene, um, you know, you don't know how soon that is. It feels really soon, but maybe it was a year. But if it was a year, then you go, well, why wouldn't you have called the police about it? You know, there's a few bits where it was like, oh, I don't really get how the time is jumping here. So, yeah, not sure. Tricky. But, yes, I totally agree. That was terrible, terrible oversight. And, again, kind of goes against this idea that which is part of the premise and one of the big thematics in the film is that there's this unbreakable bond between these two siblings and that they have this thing that draws them back together again all the time even though they're so opposite but then that happens and then you think well that's not that doesn't make sense but then equally you go well then she sleeps with a boyfriend that doesn't make sense either so you know there's a few bits where where and again it just comes back to the core issue I think which is about adapting a big book or I don't know how big it is but you know a, a chunky story into a very short amount of time and yeah and it's it's a really big ask I think and I think they've made a really valiant effort and, and made a really interesting film um 
but yeah it feels a little bit like like if I just go back to the premise and I think what could you do with that premise if that was your premise to write you'd write that in a really like you'd write that in a in a really gritty way and so then I guess to your earlier point about the decision to make it to a sort of more romantic comedy you know is that was that the right genre to do it I don't know maybe not it did feel shoehorned, and I don't think it added to Rose's arc at all. Mm. I think it minimalized it, but you know. Oh, I know what I was going to ask mm. you about the idea about the fact that the two characters. How did you feel about the idea that the two characters kind of swapped trading places in a way that you get Rose going from being this uptight person to being this sort of much more loose, casual, carefree, certain like confident person, and Maggie goes from being this sort of out of control person to being someone who's adding value, being respectful. You know, did you feel like there was a bit of a that going? Yes, I did, but I felt like it could have. I think you could have seen more of that. I don't feel like. I don't feel like Rose got to really experience what it was like to be in Maggie's shoes in the same yeah, way that Maggie saying. got yeah. to experience what it was like to be in Rose's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting point, isn't it? I wonder. But then equally you couldn't you couldn't take Rose too far, could you? No. No, well, I mean I and would she wouldn't. <laughs> I mean you well mate, actually, there you go. You would. But then you think but then you think, well, but then it would be totally out of character, right? Because then there's a the whole nature nurture thing, you know, about, you know, is that who she actually is? And you kind of think, well, she it feels to me if someone if someone has a sister who is essentially is is has massive is- literacy issues and you are able to go on to be a lawyer something has happened there and that's either the kid is like um rose is totally driven um and she's you know or there's some natural tendency to that t- sort of um more i don't know bookish um considered well behaved you know all those sort of things that they try and set her up as being at the beginning so I don't know yeah I think with them sharing insecurities but just handling it in different ways I think it would be possible to do yeah um yeah you can be bookish and smart and still have plenty of tick (laughs) sure can (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true um okay that's yeah that's that was all that was the only other point I wanted to make was around that Lovely. Well, it's been a pleasure. And thank you to everyone else who's been listening today. Just um, so a reminder for you to like, share and subscribe to the script department. It's free to do so. And we really appreciate your support. And we hope you've enjoyed the episode and that you'll join us again soon. Goodbye.